0: As Joan just said, the reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice in me. Thanks, Ron. Good morning, everyone. It's good to
1: good to see everyone here. Um, the noise that you could hear during prayer time—we're just trialing something with the kids' church, giving them a little drink and a bit of fruit before they go in to try to help their attention span—and um, we trialed it just there, and we'll probably move it to somewhere else, <laughs> I think, because it was a bit distracting. But that's what was going on there. So uh, thanks for bearing with that. I'll just make that a little bit taller. Um, also, we're trialing a new system running this projector behind us, and I forgot to tell Dave that I chose a different reading to the one that we originally had set, so that's why it didn't come up on the screen. But you have it in front of you, and you can keep it in front of you, and let's pray that God would help us to understand uh, what we're looking at this morning. Loving Father, we thank you for uh, the the way that we can gather, uh, Lord, that you call us not just individually but as a people, and you grow us as a people. Lord, we thank you for uh, the way... That you bind us together in the gospel, Lord. We thank you that that we can keep serving one another and gathering together now uh, as a church. And Lord, we just pray that now you would be with us, and Lord, that you'd be working through us, Lord, like a like a yeast through a dough, Lord. That you would your spirit would be um, taking effect in our life, and Lord, bringing to bear that uh, beautiful fruit of godliness and of, of becoming like Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we look at this topic of pride this morning, Lord, that you would help us to um, to come with, with uh, honest and open hearts. And Lord, a willingness to live in step with your spirit. Lord, we ask this for your sake and in your mighty name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago... I um, thought it was about time that I got a few new shirts. I needed to. My wardrobe was looking a bit daggy. Now, I'm not much of a you know, person to get dressed up on the best of occasions. Uh, the things that I love about weddings are the, is the catering, the food. And the thing that I hate about weddings is having to put on uncomfortable clothing and, um, you know, and make an effort and try to get at least most of the way through it without just sweating the whole outfit out. That's that's what I um, feel about wedding. So I needed to buy some shirts, and I went up to one of the menswear shops downtown Lismore, and there was a big sale rack out the front, which is what I like to see because I pretty much buy on price. Um, if it's the right price, then it's it's what I want. And so there was a there was a whole arm of of um, shirts in my size, and I was like, yes, I'll grab them. I took them in, and I said, can I try these on? You now the little um, the little sales assistant, the man there, he was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty blunt with me. He said, "You're not a small lad, are you?" I said, "I don't. He. Did, I don't think they're going to get on you." And he said, "Give me a look at what you've got." And so I handed them over to him, and he said, "They won't, but that one probably will." And so he said, "Go try that on." He was, he was kind enough, and I went and tried it on and fitted me. So that was good. I said, "Is there any more like that style?" And he said, "Yeah, we'll go find one." I got, and I got two shirts, and I. I was okay, but I thought I I want a few more than that. I want, you know, to be able to dress well for church and dress well when I come to school and things like that. So I was like, I'm a little bit embarrassed by this situation, but I thought I'll go up to Lowe's because Lowe's is a bit more old school. They'll have some, you know, more generous sizes or, or sizings. So I headed up to Lowe's. And I grabbed another pile of shirts and headed into the change rooms and I'm just encountering this problem where I've obviously had overdone it at Christmas time and my normal size is not fitting me and I'm telling it in a bit of a funny way but it was anything but funny. I was in the Lismore shopping square in the air conditioning but I was just getting completely worked up completely flustered by this situation so much so that the t-shirt that I had worn to town that day had just become so doused in my own sweat that every time I had to take it off to go and find more i put it back on to find more shirts I just felt disgusting i began to feel quite ashamed uh, at the situation that I found myself in and so I just thought I'm done with this and threw them all back out the front. I didn't even look to try to match them up where they were meant to go, where I'd pulled them from. And I'm like, I'm going to Big W. And I went into Big W and, I was tr- and foolishly, I tried the exact same thing. I kept on grabbing these shirts and trying them on and getting nowhere. But all the time in Big W, I was walking past the section called Big Joe where they have the plus sizes. And so I'm walking past these back and forth as I'm trying on these shirts. And I just didn't... I just got to a point where I was so worked up that I just grabbed this shirt that I'm wearing right now from the pile in a size that was, I've never had to wear before. Didn't even try it on, paid for it, and went into the bathroom, not in tears, but pretty worked up, and put it on, and look, it, it fitted me. I had to, what's the expression for that? I had to swallow my pride. See, I'd become so completely worked up because I was embarrassed by what was going on for me, but I was so committed to not admitting that I needed this bigger size, that I was willing to do whatever I could to find something in the size that I believed that I was, even if it didn't fit me properly, even if it meant, you know, looking kind of silly, rather than coming to terms with my problem. That I'd gained all this weight. I don't tell you this story so that you'll pity me, pity me. I just want to... It illustrates perfectly, doesn't it? The stupidity of a prideful heart, of a prideful attitude. The foolishness of it. We've begun over the last couple of weeks digging into the seven deadly sins. And we haven't actually talked about any of the seven yet. And we're on the first one today, the sin of pride. And you can see that pride is quite stupid. It's quite a stupid attitude for us to have. But these are not the seven stupid sins, are they? They're actually the seven deadly sins. Because pride in different circumstances to just buying clothes can be incredibly deadly. In fact, if we go back to the very start of the Bible, that's exactly what we see. The deadliness of pride. It's deadly because at the heart of pride is a belief that we are the ones that know better. So when we read at the start of Genesis what unfolded, for, um, what unfolded for the people that God had made, we read that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. It was all good in the relationship. But then we see that the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. They were given this freedom to live, this freedom to enjoy all that God had created. But they had to do it, understanding who they were under God. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. See, God was with them, and he had given them everything that they would need. But the temptation comes that they will be like God. As the serpent comes in, he says to Eve, God knows that when you eat from it, the tree, your eyes will be open and you will become like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Pride here is Adam and Eve believing that they could get anywhere, calling the shots for themselves. See, when Adam and Eve reach for that forbidden fruit, that's what's going on for them. It's the birth of Pride. The temptation to be like God. And they're actually too proud to realize that they already were made in God's image. See, if you think about being in this situation, everything around them would have shown them that God was God. It's all on display for them to know that. But prideful hearts mean that we believe we know better. We believe that we have a better read on the situation and that's exactly what went on for them. And it's deadly for them because it separates them from the life giver. It separates them from the one that has given life to them. It's deadly for us when our pride leads us to believe that we don't need to listen to God. See, What you'll start to notice with these seven deadly sins is that very few of them are actually in our behaviour. It's all about the attitude that underlies the way that we behave. So we see this pride. We see that it becomes deadly for them because even though they don't die, they're out of the garden, they're cut off, they're blocked. God puts angels to guard the tree of life, the tree of eternal life. God blocks the way to it. But like we've been talking about, there's another tree. And as Christians, we know that as God didn't demand their life then, but in a sense send them out, sent them out of the garden, God doesn't demand our lives either at the point of our sinfulness. He doesn't demand our lives as we commit any of these deadly sins or the behaviours that flow from them. Know that Jesus is the one that took the deadly part of any of these sins on himself as he himself died. And the invitation that we have, the invitation that we've taken to have faith is the invitation to put the life ruled by ourselves to death, just like we sung with the kids. The invitation to put to death that sinful life. You see, the grace that God shows us and gives us is so incredible that it, means a life beyond it. If you've not been here for the last couple of weeks, that's pretty much in a nutshell where we've been and what we're understanding. And so as we go through these seven deadly sins, we remember that we're not just defining them. We're not kind of coming up with strategies on how to improve on our pride, pridefulness or our, or our envious attitudes or our greediness or anything. We're not talking about self-improvement. We're not talking about how can we appease God for having these kind of attitudes. And we're not talking about how we can atone for this. We don't need to atone for it because Jesus has given his life for it. No, we're talking about the life that is beyond these deadly sins because we have become the children of God. And we're knowing that God has a life for us beyond, just being caught in this kind of stuff. So like I prayed, as we look at this, we want to know... Ourselves, We want to know our sin and be honest with ourselves. I'm just going to pause because I did create sheets for the teenagers. Uh, I'll just grab them. Might help you guys. Can you, one of you boys come share these out? Sorry? There you go. Once you've all got one, make sure that everyone else in the room grabs one. Okay. So today's reading came from Philippians. It didn't go up on the screen, sorry guys, but it is in front of you on the sheet that you got in. And just look at what Paul appeals to, uh, how Paul appeals to what Jesus did for the Philippians as his launching point for what he wants to say to them. He's going to say that a life beyond pride is a life that is instead humble. He starts there, therefore, if if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And really, as we've been like, going deeply into the fruit of the Spirit, which is really the likeness of Jesus, you can make a parallel here. You can almost read this, if you know the fruit of the Spirit, if you know the likeness of Jesus, if you're aware of what that is, who Jesus is, and if you're aware of it in your own life and your circumstances, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, by almost by keeping in step with the Spirit. The parallels are quite quite clear. Keep in step with the Spirit that you would live a life beyond pride. It goes on in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Put to death, isn't it? Put to death that part of your sinful nature. Putting pride to death means replacing it with humility. How on earth can we do that? Well, Paul says it's by having the mind of Jesus, looking back to Jesus, knowing Jesus intimately. He tells us there that Jesus was in very nature God, but he sets this example of not using that to any of his own advantage. Jesus is the opposite of an ugly, prideful life, a life that is constantly trying to get ahead. So when you consider all these deadly sins, starting with the sin of pride, we can actually see that pride is almost like the root sin. It's like the thing that comes before all the other six See, pride, when we think of it as grabbing anything, whatever we can to get ahead, we can see that that leads to envy. Because when it, what envy is, is wanting what other people have. So if our heart is prideful and we're just grabbing whatever we can to get ahead, when we see what others have, what will, we, what will result? An envious attitude toward them. Doesn't it lead also to anger, anger as we struggle in getting what we want, anger at other people getting their way when we don't don't seem to? Doesn't it lead to lust when we see people uh, just as objects because we believe it's all about what we can have for ourselves? Doesn't it lead to gluttony when you see yourself as the most important and so you just consume whatever you want? Doesn't it lead to laziness or sloth as we see ourselves pridefully deserving of more than what we have and expecting things just to kind of fall into place for us, even believing that other people exist to serve ourselves, to serve us. And doesn't it lead into greed, being filled with that sense of entitlement? Pride is really at the heart of all these other sins the belief that we can see things better, that we know what's best for us, and just a willingness to act on that impulsively and without regard for anyone else. See, life beyond this is looking to Jesus, looking to how he humbled himself, and following him in that example. See, Jesus didn't grab onto anything. He didn't grab on to the equality that he had with God. Paul writes there that rather Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He took on human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man. God himself became a man. He humbled himself. See, the opposite of pride is humility. Isn't Jesus on the cross the ultimate example of that? Jesus on the cross, the ultimate expression of that? See, I started in Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of humanity, and theologically it's good to remember that there's this big picture in the Bible that takes us from God being a good creator To seeing that all humanity turned their back, that's what we call the fall. And then coming to Jesus to see that at the cross, he undoes the curse of sin, undoes what happened, pays the price. And then in resurrection brings us to the new life that is beyond that. From the fall to the cross, theologically it's right to talk about this, but look at it this way too. At the cross, Jesus is humbled as a reversal of the prideful actions that happened at the fall. Can you see that side of it? It goes so far that we remember that at the, at the trial of Jesus, the voices shouted out in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. It's a prideful cry, isn't it? that the people in the crowd somehow felt they knew what to do with the Son of God, that they knew better what to do with this one who called himself the Son of God. The belief that they knew what should happen to Jesus. See, prideful hearts thinking they knew what needed to happen. Well, well, didn't God turn that on his head? Didn't he turn it on his head? Where in his crucifixion, he was humbling himself to the point of reversing This problem of pride. Jesus' humility and really his humiliation turns pride on its head and actually makes a path through it for us. Sometimes pride can be expressed as trying to climb the ladder, like trying to climb the ladder in life, get ahead in life, get up somewhere. The Christian ladder that we've got to climb to get anywhere in life is that one. It's the cross, isn't it? That's the only path for us to go anywhere. And how wise is God that he used the rebellious pride of sinful humans to achieve that for us. See, us taking on this attitude through the cross, on the other side of it, beating pride, putting it to death. It's that same thing that I said last week. It's about growing in the gospel soil that we're planted in. The path to live a life of humility rather than pride is founded and remains in what happened when we put our faith in Jesus. It doesn't actually go anywhere beyond there. Recognising pride in our hearts And leading a humble life beyond it happens entirely, entirely in the grace shown to you when you first received it. Your salvation actually began with humility. If there wasn't humility for us to call on Jesus for salvation, we wouldn't have ever called. If you didn't Call on Jesus, or if you didn't, if you weren't humbled in that moment when you did, are you really a believer? That's what a challenge that I think this puts to us. Because there's no other way to receive Jesus than in humility. And so it is that we live a humble life by remaining always in that gospel that we received. See, it's right that as Christians that we would have an honest awareness of our own brokenness. Now, we don't want to make too much of that in, in that we go on living feeling broken all the time because we're not broken all the time. We've received His Spirit, we've received His salvation and we are being restored. We are living a life beyond that. But it is always going to come from a point of brokenness. And until we're in glory, we're still going to battle through that and we're still going to struggle with that. In the same way that we bring nothing when we come to receive Jesus, we contribute nothing also to our ongoing salvation. And growth, particularly in the area of humility, comes as we're constantly mindful of that. Again, like I said, not in a way that, you know, that Satan might use to accuse us or to get us down or that our own, our own self-doubt might get us feeling useless brokenness isn't the same as uselessness okay but in a way that is honest and aware of what we're like you see it quite clearly i don't know how oh yeah that's readable isn't it a parable that jesus told explains this so clearly It's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You can read along as I I say what I want to say. I'm not going to read that out for us. But basically what happens in this parable, Jesus talks of two men going up to the temple and pray. And one of these men is a tax collector. And he's kind of symbolic of all the sinfulness and brokenness of people. The other there is a Pharisee. And he's symbolic in this story of the righteous and the good in society. And the Pharisee gets up there. And he is proud. And his pride is on display because when he prays, he thanks God that he's not like the others. And he lists off all those people that he's not like. And he says, and I'm especially not like that tax collector there. And the tax collector, by contrast in Jesus' story, he stands back at a distance. He's aware of of what he's like. He's aware of this brokenness. And it says that he beats his breast... He won't look up and he stands at a distance and his prayer is mercy show me your mercy God I mean the obvious question in this parable of Jesus is who do you think is the one that is accepted who do you think whose prayers are heard by God in this story that's quite apparent that's the tax collector Like I've said, pride is stupid and pride is deadly, but it's also quite foolish. It's foolish if we insist on living by it. We're to never forget that we started a base point of being a sinful human and we live in the hands of a merciful God. We're there 100% by his mercy. So don't allow pride even to creep into that. See, leading a life beyond pride must grow out of the humility that brought you you to Jesus. And it must be a humility that keeps you bringing back to Jesus. Let's just scan back through all of this to see this humbling picture as we wrap this up. See, our sinfulness wants to grasp for the glory of God, to have it for ourselves. And the cross is our way out of it. Our lives get caught up with Jesus. Eve there wanted to be like God. She wanted, she she was attracted to that thought that she will be like God, that she will get to call the shots. And she was driven to take for herself. By contrast, Jesus... Though he was like God, he did the reverse and gave it up. He goes down to become a human and then to suffer and to die the humiliating death of crucifixion. Can it be any more humble than that? See, the cross is the only way that we rise to new life. The cross is what we can boast in. It's the only way that we can elevate ourselves. And when we realize it, it actually humbles us. And it takes us on a path with Jesus. See, as Paul goes on and writes, Jesus didn't end with his death on the cross like we know, but he's elevated with Jesus in glory. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And so we realise that Jesus is the one that is truly in a, in a place where he can be proud. Not in a distorted way like we attempted to be. We don't really talk about Jesus' as pride, but we talk about his position in glory, where he should be. But that's what Jesus, what God does for Jesus in elevating him to this spot, not just raising him but exalting him, is actually what happens for those of us whose lives and futures are united with him. If you are a believer, you are united with Jesus in a position of glory that he has been given. That's why I say it's not just stupid and deadly, but foolish for us to seek pride anywhere else. Because when we really realise what it is to be a child of God, we realise that we are caught up with Jesus in what has happened to him. We realise too that when we're humble, God can work in us. Look at verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. You want to live a fruitful life, keep in step with the Spirit. Let God be the one that works that out in you. Be cooperative with what God wants to do in your life. We realise that it means we are his adopted children. As we live out that humble life, getting rid of grumbling, putting to death our arguing, believing that we know better, we become the blameless and pure children of God. It's realized that we live as his child. And when that happens, what does it say? Results? You'll shine among them like stars in the sky. See, that's when our lives instead of being filled with our own pride, actually bring glory to the one who is glorious. And that has a marvellous effect at building each other up, at showing Christ to the world. We glorify God and not ourselves. And this all comes as we hold firmly onto the gospel. The source of the new life that is beyond pride because it's where we can take pride and ask God to put it to death. Right back at the start of Philippians chapter 2, Paul said to these Christians, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you have realised the beauty and the glory and the love of God that he has shown you in the gospel, then go deeper into that. Grow deep roots in that gospel soil that you've been planted in. Make sure that you know Christ personally. What Paul's written there at the start of chapter 2, any encouragement from union with Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing with us If you are to really understand that, then you really need to know Jesus and you really need to know him intimately, personally. Those spiritual disciplines of actually getting into the word, reading the gospels, being acquainted with Jesus, becoming familiar with the way that he treats people, the way that he acts with people. How are you actually going with that? Is that something that has slipped for you? Or is that something that is rich for you at the moment? If it slipped for you, just in his grace, turn back. Open up John. Open up Mark. Read through it again. And if it is rich for you, then share that with others. Encourage one another of what you're hearing, of what God's showing you. Like in verse 5, he says, have the mindset of Jesus. How can we do that? Well, we've got the spirit of Jesus living inside of us. Are we listening? Are we listening to God's spirit as he leads us and guides us? That's the first thing we put into action out of this. But the second thing that I've kind of been saying all through this is really knowing ourselves and becoming familiar in your own life. Where is it that pride takes over? Where is it that that ugly or stupid or... Foolish pride sees you behaving in a way that just leads to nothing. Honestly, if you look at your life, where you let pride give you a false sense of security. Honestly, look at your life and work that out. Back in 2016, Tara and myself, and we only had Sonny then, we moved back to Evans Head from Armidale, had been working out there, for five years as a scripture teacher and I was coming here to to do the same and work in the church and we, you know, we got to live in the house down opposite the bowling club, the unit that's only, was only a few years old and um, Tara had got a transfer in a job and uh, I, you know, working here I was gone from like a part-time job to a full-time job so we had a bit more money in the bank and we rented out our house so we had a bit more money in the bank and I just constantly remember thinking, oh, I'm really winning at life in the moment, at the moment. That, that expression, I'm winning at life, actually I remember it just rolling around in my head and it put a strut in my step, thinking, oh, you know, I've moved to the beach from cold old Armadale and I've, you know, got money in the bank, we can do things at the moment. Thankfully, I dealt with that prideful attitude before the challenges came. And they weren't that far away. But I, I, I dread to think how I would have reacted if I still believed that I was winning at life when they came. We never know what's in front of us. We never know what's coming our way, what God is allowing into our lives. But we'll be crushed if we're living not out of the humility of the cross, but out of pride, believing that we're the ones that have put our lives together. For me, the struggle, ongoing struggle, is when I'm out the front on my week in music. It's so tempting for me to drift into thinking, oh, I've really got this sounding good today. Or, oh, you know, I just pulled off a harmony there. I wonder who noticed that. I mean, I... I hope this doesn't affect my leading you in future weeks, but that's just being honest. It's a struggle that I have. The thought that leading God's people in worship could be about me, what an ugly example of pride. Maybe you need to look at the life that you've made for yourself, the circumstances around you, and just start learning the meaning of God's mercy or remembering that it's only by God's mercy. Learning or relearning that what comes at your hands and what ultimately really comes from God's hands. Maybe humbling yourself means humbling how you use what you own or spend what you earn or do with the time that you have. Maybe if you spent the next week deliberately thanking God for every little thing you get to clean or every hour that you get to be at work or every bill that you get to pay, maybe that would help kill pride off for you. Maybe that will humble you because that's when we really understand that our lives are built on the mercy shown to us by God. Just as Jesus didn't grasp hold of his actual position, will we keep grasping hold of the false, false hopes and idols that we put, our pride that we pride ourselves in? Or will we follow Jesus in humbling ourselves and looking to God for glory, for His glory to be revealed in our life, to have a life that shines? To people around us. And just one last point on pride. If you are not sure whether you're a believer, if you're not sure whether you've really received Christ for yourself, if you're a Christian, is there a prideful attitude that is being the block to that? Is there a pride that you don't believe that you are good enough? Or is there a pride that you believe I don't need all that stuff they say about Jesus, because I can get it together myself. I want you to hear in this that there is one path to really knowing God, and it's by letting go of that pride, humbling yourself and receiving, receiving that free gift of grace that is given to us. As I lead us in prayer now, I'm just going to give you some time to do some of that self-reflecting, some quiet time, And then I'll close off in a prayer for us all. Uh, Lord, we just come before you now and we ask that you would show us in our life, Lord, where we are overcome by pride. And Lord God, we bring that attitude to you and Lord, we lay it down at the foot of the cross that you might renew us, that you might bring us into that life beyond living that way. Lord, I just ask for your power in your spirit to make those decisions to keep us walking on that narrow road. Lord, where we live among people that try to climb the ladder to get ahead, Lord, that live out of a prideful envy or a prideful anger or, Lord, prideful lusts, Lord, that you would keep us fixed and focused on the path that you made for us through the cross, Lord, because we know that it results in life. Lord, comfort us that we are your children by faith in you. And Lord, let us know your grace as we deal with this temptation and this sin in our life. Lord, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.